42nd episode of the game podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and I'm leaving for the pro tour tomorrow. Are you excited? I'm I'm pretty excited. I don't know. I feel like I probably should have been there already. I feel like jet lag might just kick my ass, but we'll see. You know, I'm I'm a fighter. Who are you working with for this pro tour, by the way? I don't think we've talked about this yet. I don't we we don't have a team really. It's it's a lot of the people from if you follow the team series. Uh, CFP Fire and Mutiny, so Madison people and some Denver people, uh, some Europeans, it's like Martin Jusa and his friends. Okay, so kind of reaching all across the globe, a lot of different influences. Yeah, a little bit, and then I'm I'm like the lone person uh, super far out west, and then there's like Josh Cho and Pat Cox in Northern Virginia. And is the rest of your team already out there, or is everyone just going out late? Cho left a couple days ago, but he went to Korea first to visit his family. And I think most of the people are there. I don't know. Uh, I, I heard them talking on the coverage for GP Kyoto that 24 of the top 25 rated people are there. We're at the GP. Yeah, the Toronto GP was uh, noticeably soft. It definitely was missing a lot of the usual faces you would expect to see. So that does not surprise me. Yeah. So the one holdout from the top 25 was me. <laughs> Always got to be different. Yep. Yeah. Just bucking those trends. It's what I do. Well, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, sticking to your process, doing what works for you. If you don't want to be there, you don't want to be there. You'll, I'm, I know you've been testing nonstop and, you know, you've been analyzing the format. So I, I'm I, sure you can make it work. You say nonstop. We have, we have stopped a reasonable amount. I don't know. There's, there's like some crazy Pokemon Go stuff happening right now that takes a few hours out of each day. Have you been participating in, in the uh, like huge events going on? Uh, I mean, not really. I'm basically just taking advantage of the fact that it's going on. Okay. I was I was only a, ever a hyper-casual Pokemon Go player. It kind of sprouted at the peak of my busyness with my, my law firm job, so I never dove all the way in. Yeah. Uh, but I know you were a, a hardcore Pokemon gatherer for quite some time. Yeah, I played super hardcore for like two or three months and then just started up again like three weeks ago, and then this happened like right before the PT, and it's been fun, but it's been kind of bad. Has the game gotten better? I, I just, like, there no. wasn't any game to it before, right? No, it's I, it's mostly the same. I mean, there's, like, some raid system where you can, like, fight Tyranitars and then catch them, which is kind of sweet, but it's about it. As much as I would love a Tyranitar, I, I don't think I can bring myself to dive back in. It's it's just one of those things where if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go hard, so. Yeah, the, well, I mean, that's the problem with the way gamers approach things sometimes, right, is we don't know how to just go a little bit. We talked about this a little bit last week. If, you, if yep. you're going to do it, you got to be the best, so. Yeah. You want to be the very best, like no one ever was, and I support that. Do what you got to do, man. You'll get ready for this Pro Tour one way or another. Part of the issue is also that the Pro Tour doesn't exactly matter for me, which is weird. I mean, I obviously have never been in this situation where it's like, well, I have Platinum locked up, I have Worlds locked up, like what else am I doing here? It's not like I can catch Marcio in Player of the Year or whatever. Now, since I haven't really gone to events, there's just 12 people in front of me or something, so... Yeah, it's a pretty insane spot to be in. Like, I, I don't think it's often that someone shows up at Pro Tour and is like, yeah, I don't really have anything to play for here. Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't know. Cho is kind of in the same spot, too, where he is just locked for gold. He just has to not get disqualified, you know? 
Does but he must at that stage he has some shot at platinum too though, right? Yeah, but he would have to like top eight to hit platinum and then it's kind of like whatever, you know? It is difficult to justify testing for a pro tour when like the only thing that really changes is if you top eight. Yeah, you're kind of already grasping at straws. I understand. We all have our motivations when we show up at a pro tour. I have never been in the position you're currently in. And I think very few people, you know, have been in the position where they have worlds and, and platinum locked up already going into the last pro tour. But I guess take advantage of it, you know, have a, have a mini vacation. As a professional magic player, you know... I guess your life is kind of marked by these spikes of high stress and you get a little bit less stress this time. That's always good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there is actually less stress because I know that I've been kind of slacking to some degree. Like, oh, so now you're guilting yourself and not even getting the benefits of oh, having Oh, yeah. To- oh, yeah. Dude, I, I know that I can always be doing better. So there's there's no time for me to just be like, oh, you know, I did my best because no, I, I've never done my best. You know, like there's always like some time that could have been spent better. Dude, we're, we're totally calling back to the last episode now where I talked about how fascinating the psyche of a Magic player before a big event like this is. And you're, you're totally proving my theorem right because oh, this, yeah. is, this is crazy psychological stuff that uh, I think people don't realize like the top level players often go through when approaching these events. I think that I am different than people in a lot of ways in that like I am super hard on myself and fairly hard on people around me and... I don't know. It just I, I always think that we can be doing better, and I just want to like motivate people and bring people up. You know, I've had the same experiences, especially when you talk about people around you. I always, I always want my teams to be better. I always feel like a team can do more, and like I, I want to be the one to kind of spearhead that initiative. But also, a lot of times with my teams, I'm the least experienced guy on my team. You know, my last team had a bunch of Hall of Famers, and. I was kind of this guy who they took in on a lark and I didn't always feel comfortable insisting on, you know, doing the team process in a more galvanized way and being the one to force data down people's throats. So it's a difficult balance to to kind of strike in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same position as you are. Like, I'm, I'm relatively new to this squad. This is the third time working with them. And yeah, I, I see things going on where it's like, oh, you know, I wish this was a little bit different or whatever. But it's like, is it really my place to say and like bring this stuff up and try and make like big sweeping changes, you know? So I've mostly just kind of been going with the flow. I don't know. I think I think that's been working out OK. And maybe at some point, like I'll step in and try and actually get things more organized and try and better us and stuff. But I certainly don't want to just like show up and start ordering people around, you know? Yeah, that's that's the thing is you want to be, uh, you know, kind of uh agent of positive change and at the same time you have to not step on people's toes and kind of offend the existing processes yeah absolutely Uh, delicate balance for sure it hasn't seemed like my team has been doing a lot of work either so it's not like i feel super bad or anything at least as far as that is concerned but yeah i mean I, i still feel kind of bad about myself like this this is a pro tour i should not waste this opportunity and i really am still working on refining my process and everything so there, there are just moments where I just like sit and stare at my whiteboard, you know, and I'm just like, I don't see it yet, you know? Well, sometimes there is a, a eureka moment when it comes to this type of stuff. I've certainly had them before and they've been as late as two days before the pro tour. So I, I guess I would just say keep staring at the whiteboard, keep thinking and the answer may come to you. It, it comes at weird times. Yeah, I, I do a lot of good work on flights, so I'm eager for that. That's kind of also the weird thing is like I haven't really taken a flight this late before. It's like I'm I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between like do I bring all my cards or do I just bring cards for like 
the one or two decks that I think I might play or whatever? Like, how bad is it if I just, like, try an audible at the last second and I just have nothing on me, you know? Oh, I always bring everything. I, I mean, I over-prepare to some extent, but that's, like, my biggest nightmare is to get a flash of inspiration and just be like, yes, this is the card I have to have and not be able to get it. It literally will keep me up at night if I don't have every possible card with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't have every possible card. I have a list that I'm making so I can run to the card store tomorrow before I get on my flight. But anyway, eight minutes in, I guess we could maybe talk about standard. Sure, we can mention it. I mean, things are pretty much exactly as we would expect, right? Uh, no. What are you what? talking about? It's just another Angel of Invention, <laughs> Cataclysmic, Gear Hulk, Mausoleum Wanderer deck on top, like it's been for months and months. <laughs> yeah, just those those mythic rares just kicking everyone's asses. <laughs> Yeah, man, Angel of Invention went from, like, a quarter to eight and a half tickets, and that, that blue-white reanimator deck is for real. Uh, it does seem to be very real. I've encountered it many times on Moto over the past few days. I'm kind of blown away, I guess I would say. This is something that we knew existed. Uh, we certainly have talked about God, God Pharaoh's Gift from the very beginning of our time together with the spoiler. Um, we noted it was a very powerful effect, but maybe a little difficult to get working but this deck just goes all in on it and it definitely makes it work we missed refurbish yeah that was that's the big piece and you know there's there's such great synergies here too i love the cataclysmic gear hulk thing that's kind of cool right oh yeah no i i love how the the reanimate targets for god pharaoh's gift are things that are castable in your deck and otherwise fine like cataclysmic gear hulk and uh angel of invention and when you reanimate them, they're just gross. Yeah, they're like bonkers. Ha- having having haste on the angel is incredible. Yeah, that and the mausoleum wanderer, which now counters everything. Yeah, um. <laughs> I, I actually haven't seen that come up, but I haven't been playing like any control decks or anything. So I think that the most impressive thing I love these kind of multifaceted decks, and this deck has a completely reasonable beatdown plan. And that's one thing I noticed about it is that my life total was absolutely being pressured in the early turns of it, the game when it's just setting up. When yeah. it's just doing the things it wants to do, it's still putting you under pressure and you kind of are forced into this awkward situation where am I answering their creatures? Like you have an abrade in your hand. Well, do I have to abrade their champion of wits before my life total is you know, down to where Angel of Invention just kills me anyway? Or do I need to save that abrade for the actual God Pharaoh's gift? Well, um, it puts you in very difficult positions. One thing I think that's worth noting is that You've been playing a lot of ramp and now a lot of black-red mid-range, right? Yes, correct. So you've been playing a lot of decks that aren't pressuring them. So yeah, I mean, their their inspectors and champion of wits are going to get you. They're going to soften you up for sure. Yeah, that is definitely a, a point of, of bias on my end. I haven't been playing the aggressive decks. But I think this kind of deck, I mean, you're playing for Angel of Inventions. It has the tools to kind of stand in the face of these hyper-aggressive decks, too, and just fall back to a defensive position and then ultimately take over with God Pharaoh's Gift. Yeah, I think Mono Red needs some help, and I'm not sure what the right card is. What do you think is the best white card against them? Because I think I have the answer. I want to say just, like, go to the Eternalize guy. You're kind of getting both sides again, where it's totally fine to just just play a 2-3, gain 2 life, and then you know, maybe have to pay the eternalized cost. You're also getting a discard, which can be okay in this deck. You know, get your gut, your God Pharaoh's gift out of your hand to be able to refurbish it. And then if you do happen, happen to God Pharaoh's gift back the 4-4 version of that guy, the game's probably just over. Gaining four life is enough. Yeah. Um, so, so that's my first instinct, that guy. The thing is, like, do you ever get to block with that thing? 
Blocking against the mono red deck in general is difficult. They do a very good job of preventing you from ever making efficient blocks um, between the the Kenra and you know sometimes Cartouche of Zeal post board. They have the the three two haste guy that exerts. It's very difficult to set up profitable blocks against them unless you're going very wide and presenting multiple blockers. Yeah, but even then, I mean, they're they're going to make it so your two three can't block. If they are in a situation where they can't do that, I mean, they still have incendiary flow too. So I have not been super happy with that card. Okay, so so what's your solution? Authority of the Consuls. Oh, we haven't seen that card in a while. So it certainly does a great job at slowing down their haste, guys. They have like 20 haste creatures. Getting a lot of incidental life gain. I like the look of that. And it, it like it stops like the, the big Kenra turn, the big like on crop crasher turn. You know, it just, like, slows them down a lot, and it's so cheap. So it lets you, like, keep doing your other stuff while also, I don't know, I mean, I think it gives you, like, two and a half turns or something, which is pretty incredible for one mana. Yeah, I can certainly see it gaining you very easily six or seven life over the course of a game. I'm surprised that's not a card we've really seen picked up anywhere else either, but as I think about it, it's only kind of this in Monument as the white decks in the format right now. Uh, Mardu to some degree? Yeah, that was a card we played in Mardu against the the cat combo, obviously, back in the day. But I, I don't think that's what Mardu wants to do now. I think they'd rather just play kind of one-for-one, one, reaching to Fumigate, and, and take over the game that way. See, I hate that plan. Everyone does that against every creature deck, and I think it's so bad. I think, like, Mono Red is pretty well set up to beat Fumigate, especially since the rest of your deck isn't, like, Lightning Helixes or anything. It's like you've got a bunch of, like, Toolcraft Exemplars and stuff. Uh, I have had very, very good success with the Fumigate plan out of Mardu. I don't know how much of that comes from just lack of preparedness on my opponent's parts. Well, that that's what I think it is. I mean, I, I think yeah. that you're going to get people with it, and it's it's going to be like all well and good. But as far as like a pro tour is concerned, it's like I, I don't know. It just it does not seem to work out. Like it never works against me, and I'm always like playing like zombies or monument or whatever. And it's like, oh god, the Mardu deck slowed down. Thank you. Yeah, because give you some room to breathe. I was scared of the Toolcraft Exemplar draws because, like, that's that's Mardu's best plan against a deck that, like, goes up to, like, five mana, you know? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, you know, so many of my Mardu plants, I'm not going to lie, I just left the Toolcraft plan and, and played bigger. You know, maybe I'm blinded by my own success. I always felt comfortable with those plans. Uh, I would say that I, I think Mardu should be leaning pretty heavily on Walking Ballista right now, which is another very good card against the mono red deck getting two for ones i don't mind ballista i was trying glory bound initiate but i i wasn't super happy with it no I, i've never been super happy with that card it seems like it should get the job done i think it has just too much vulnerability and you're very rarely going to gain the life you expect to gain from that card even when i did it was like all right i hit you for four and then next my next turn is playing like a harvester or i'd have a heart of in play or something and it would just be so awkward yeah, I could see that. I do like the idea of Authority of the Consoles. I would definitely give it a try. Certainly in the Reanimator deck. I'm I'm not sure if they struggle with that matchup as it stands right now. They do, they do have some good blockers. They get to Angel of Invention. I don't know. I, and I'm assuming that based on my experiences on Moto over the past like week, this guy must have played like six rounds against Mono Red. Like it, it was just it's been Mono Red across the queues constantly for me, and I can't believe he took this list into the PTQ without a very good plan against Mono Red. I mean, he posted his matchups, right? Yeah, he played against Mono Red once in the semis and defeated it, and that was it. Some people are just lucky, man. Yeah. I, I, regardless of what happened in this PTQ, you do have to assume he was prepared for that matchup. I mean, no one wasn't considering Mono Red going into this weekend. 
I don't know, man. He's got Olin Vala in his sideboard. That doesn't seem like it's necessarily there for Mono Red. No, that's what I'm saying. I, th- I think that... I think that his main deck matchup is probably fine as it stands. Oh, I don't know. It just seems like there's there's so much like fiddling around, you know. Like obviously, if you just like refurbish on four, you're probably good. But any other time, I don't know. I feel I feel like the matchup could use some help. That's all. Okay, I I would try Authority of the Consoles. I like that as a suggestion. But on the whole, I, I think this deck is doing something very unique for the format. If this had been kind of a mystery going into the Pro Tour, I think this kind of could have ran away with things. Oh, yeah. But now now I'm like, you know, playing Scavenger Ground and Crook of Condemnation and like all this nonsense. And now the question is, how does the deck actually stand up against hate? Yeah. And the first place I went, because this is just something I like to do, was transformational sideboards. How good is this deck when it's just like kind of an anemic beatdown deck? Is that better than trying to fight through hate? I think it might be. I think it, you know, does a pretty good approximation of like kind of a weenie deck. It has 11 one drops and an anthem. So what exactly does the transformational sideboard look like? I don't know. Maybe you have things like always watching, possibly. It depends who you're preparing for. Like basically you have to get 11 cards out of the deck, right? You need to get out the four gates, three God Pharaoh's gift and four refurbish. I don't know. I mean, so from from my playing with it, I've been playing a lot of Monument because for a while I thought that I might play that at the Pro Tour just for familiarity basically but uh, the matchup is super fun too i mean if, if you ever want to play monument or the god pharaoh's gift deck like that matchup is great it's just a lot of fun but i could get them with like a crook or a scavenger ground and then they could like rebuild pretty easily and i was like kind of pressuring them but not really the fact that i wasn't pressuring them meant meant that like their hard cast cataclysmic gear hulks and angels were just fine against me so i had to like kind of try and graveyard hate them so that they didn't just like nut draw me on on turn four and then i also had to deal with them just like casting their big stuff so like what is the best way to kind of like bring those together for them that's a good question i think probably as the hate escalates they have to consider things like transformational sideboards maybe for this pro tour you could get away with just kind of can you trim your plan at all yeah i mean i think that's what you i think that's what you want to do most likely. Because, uh, like, how many crooks and stuff are people going to have against you, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't think anyone's going, like, full-blown four crooks, right? Like, we, no. we haven't reached that point. No, and even if they do, it's like, all right, I mean, if, if they, like, mold a five with these crooks and maybe I mold a five or six, I can still beat them with just hard-casting these mythics, right? Yeah. It's kind of so what I it seems like to me. That based, based on mana sources, I think they are, as it stands now, they were kind of priced into playing... If new Rivulet, which is a very weird card name to say. Yeah. But I really like the look of White Desert in this list as we talk about different kind of plans. When they're going wide with things like Angel of Invention and, you know, just kind of dropping weenies on the board. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the board states with Monument came down to that, whereas, like, they're anthemming their team and uh, Chef Net Dunes would have been completely reasonable. But yeah. it's just how much does it mess up, like, your Port Towns and Prairie Streams and how much do you need those? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure because the list that won has has rivulet, right? So I I think you could just do a straight switch and then trim the number of islands and really have no, or excuse me, increase the number of islands and really have no impact on your mana base. Yeah, I mean it doesn't change things as far as Port Town is concerned, but how much does cutting rivulet impact you not having like the enough combo things? Yeah. yeah, see, I don't see that coming up all that often. But maybe that's just my inexperience with the deck. The games I've played against it, I've never seen them actually activate a rivulet. Whereas there's certainly been points where the white desert would have been fine. 
And this is a fairly small sample size, so I wouldn't put a ton of stock in this, but I'm just kind of spitballing here. And it's something that I would explore if I was kind of working on this deck right now. Yeah, no, that's that's completely reasonable. The times I've seen them actually activate uh, Reveal It were when they needed a you know fifth and sixth creature for gates or post-graveyard hate or when they're looking for a very specific fatty. Mm-hmm. But it was never just like, you know, turn three, I'm sacking this thing. Yeah, just value Reveal It. No, I'm, I'm sure that doesn't come up. Yeah, so it is generally just like in the later stages of the game. And it's like, if you are playing against a lot of hate, I mean, st- having stuff like that that just like refills your graveyard again is is what is going to help you, you know? It just immediately lets you rebuild, right? Like if you have a God Pharaoh's Gift in play and you're losing the graveyard hate, then you're probably doing something wrong, you know? Like maybe you should have saved that extra charge on Minister of Inquiries or maybe you should have saved that Rivulet or something, right? Isn't the proper way to play your crooks against this deck though is just to only respond to triggers? Like not to worry about managing the graveyard, just use them to spot, remove things that are being targeted by Refurbish or by Gate to the Afterlife? Well, God Pharaoh's Gift doesn't target. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, this changes everything. <laughs> Let me read yeah, this. Yeah, so, so like if you have the gift, you go to combat, they sack their crook, and then you just like mill yourself. Like it's not like they even get to counter the, the God Pharaoh's Gift. Wow, that is entirely unintuitive. It's absurd. I, I have no idea why it works I, that I way. I am learning this right now. I am learning this right now, just to be clear. So uh, Yeah. No, okay. it is it is bizarre. I'm kind of flabbergasted. Yeah, so, so let that scratch that. And then I, I'm I kind of get Rivulet a little bit more now. I, I still stand by what I say. I would explore the white desert, but uh, that that changes my approach to graveyard hate in this matchup. I mean I'm I'm pretty happy just cutting the prairie streams, playing Aether Hubs. I think Prairie Stream ETB's tapped just like 90% of the time I see it. And Aetherhub gives you another charge for Minister or Minister fixes your mana, whichever way you want it, you know? I, I can't tell you how much I hate these Prairie Stream mana bases. As I said, I've been playing a lot of red-black lately. Um, and it's the same type of mana base where it's built with the, the 12 dual lands. And it feels horrible. And that, that deck already has the Aetherhubs. The Monument deck we played at the Invitational was the same way. It was like 4-4-3... Four, four, and just after playing with it, it was like, oh my god, like, we have 25 lands, and we're generally drawing a bunch of cards, so we just play out the cycle land almost every time, unless we're, like, really flooded. And Prairie Stream, ETB's tapped just always. all the time. It feels like always. I can't, I don't feel like I ever get that land untapped. So, my monument list right now has three streams and one farmland. Yeah, I just, have to believe that we're just kind of, like skipping a step in these mana bases we're just like oh i'm too colored so i play all these lands and i'm very convinced at this point that it's incorrect yeah um, look at all the dual lands you get yeah who cares i mean yeah. play the amount that allows you to cast all your spells and also curve out you know classic problem of like making your mana base too good right yes and actually exactly about the implications of it and i have been excited by the red black deck surprisingly so i kind of just played it to get it off my list and have enjoyed playing with it quite a bit and i, I think it does have a place in this metagame. Basically, it beats up on the mono red decks. It does a really nice job of that. And there's so many in the moto queues right now that I'm, I'm enjoying getting that matchup repeatedly. I, I'm not, because it, it kind of screws my testing. Like I understand. I, yeah. I, I'm playing about 60% against mono red. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about the same. Maybe a little less. I, I think it is like pretty close to 50, though. Is this just a function of, of the cost of the deck? Like it, It's weird to kind of think that's what's dictating this more than anything else, but it can't be that 50% of the people playing leagues believe that Mono Red is the best deck right now. No, but it's like they like playing Mono Red. It's probably easy to grind because of the league system, right? You just get to play your five matches in an hour. 
even the finest like mono red decks I can think back on, I, I'm thinking of like Pro Tour Magic Origins mono red deck. What's that was an excellent mono red list. Yeah, no, all your cards were great. It was the same with the Goblin Guide one. Yeah, but it didn't reach this kind of levels of permutation into the meta, or excuse me, permeation into the meta game where you just played against mono red constantly. I don't remember this ever being like this. Yeah, it's because Goblin Guide was like ten tickets. Some of these cards have to be creeping up by now, right? Isn't isn't Kenra approaching like five tickets or something like that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I know that like all the carry Zevs and stuff are are getting pretty close to a ticket, but it, it's been incredible the amount of mono red you're seeing in, in the queues, and I would also like that to kind of go away because it is influencing. I, I mean, there's a lot of other decks I'd like to play, and and some decks which maybe don't have a great mono red matchup, which I still think have merit, but I'd be a fool to bring them into the queues right now. So yeah, mono red is a hundo with a Chandra in the sideboard on Moto. That's not super cheap. I don't know. I think that's pretty cheap. Yeah, that's that. That's as low as it gets. People can like trade in their set of Angel of Inventions and get half the deck. So yeah, I'll be honest. I I just like have every card, and I I don't recall what I paid for them. So I don't I don't really <laughs> keep track of the prices all that much. One critical piece we didn't really talk about against the mono red decks for the blue white deck is Gate to the Afterlife itself. Yeah, you're probably gaining like four or five life over the course of the game just on that card. It's it, it is reasonable if you get the block. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's another one of those wrinkles where they do such a good job of preventing you from ever making effective blocks. I don't know, man. Maybe just like Servo Expedition or something like that. Like, Just just getting that wide? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the best way to stop them. No, you're right. I mean, all their, all their you can't block stuff is very targeted. They have a lot of X1s, so Servo Expedition is interesting. So I was watching Michael Jacobs stream the other day. I got to watch him for like 10 minutes, and he was messing around with different variations on the reanimator deck and he was trying like some red splash for a braid which seemed pretty good like obviously if you're expecting mirror matches like that might be one of the best cards Mm -hmm. and then one of his versions had thought not seer in addition so he had like all the hubs and chef net dunes and stuff and it's like yeah both those cards seem pretty nice in the mirror so i don't know that's probably what i'm gonna sketch out on the plane Uh, i haven't gotten really any chance to play those decks or anything but i played against them enough i know what's up yeah, I could see Thought Not Seer slotting well in, like, the Mausoleum Wanderer slot, potentially. Another piece yeah. of, like, disruption. Uh, I, I wouldn't really want to lose either, like, the Raven Inspector, I, I think is a pretty key piece of the puzzle. You know, that unassuming card that we keep realizing is, like, the key to so many archetypes. No, it's the best card. All these cards have their role. I guess Cataclysmic Gear Hulk is something that I would put on the table. Uh, there's certainly going to be metagames where that card's better than others. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal against monument yeah yeah and i think that's where it's getting most of its points right now yeah, pretty good against mono red too mono if you red, live that long yeah. for the invitational the monument deck was the right power level with all the things around it and we did a good job tuning it like playing the essence scatters to beat torrential gear hulks and stuff and now it seems like the white blue reanimator deck is kind of that it's like it is probably not as flimsy as people think it is where it's just like, oh, I have like three crooks in my sideboard and that's it. And it's like, yeah, that's probably not going to beat them, you know? Like, I'm I'm just looking for a deck that's like green-white tokens, you know? Let's me play Magic every game is is very confusing for people to play against and sideboard against, you know? That's all I really want. Yeah, I think this checks that box, absolutely. Um, and you have to love the way bias works. As soon as a deck is called Reanimator... Oh I yeah. People just assume like, oh, if I have graveyard hate, there's no way they can ever win. Like that's yeah. that's the end of the argument. Dude, I've I've lost games where I just completely stop them from ever putting a God Pharaoh's gift into play, you know? 
Yeah. And, and this, you know, this is a trend across many, many formats where people think if you lock off the graveyard, I remember playing, you know, junk rights back in the day, people thought the key to that matchup was closing off the graveyard when the graveyard actually mattered very little. And I could see this deck doing the exact same thing perfectly played without access to things like the God Pharaoh's gift itself. So yeah. Hardcasting angel of invention isn't as strong as hardcasting Thrag tusk, but whatever. Yeah. A little bit different. I mean, the, the, yeah, the format is different. The context is different. Like, Angel is perfectly serviceable. Yeah, I've been impressed with it as just a card, you know, in the matches I've played against this deck. I kind of, you know, I should remember how much it dominated games of Limited I played. Yeah. Uh, when my opponent would cast it, and I'm just like, oh, I can never win now. Um, and it's, it's having that same effect on some of my games of Standard now, so it's been a real joy. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been kind of weird, right, because Avacyn... And then later Glorybringer kind of put a lot of pressure on what five drops you were willing to play, right? Because they just sat on top of everything else and they were so much more powerful than everything else. But now the games are playing out a little bit differently where like people are just going wider. Like Avacyn is not that good because just like blocking a 3-2 and taking six is probably not how you're going to win a game. And Angel just shores up a lot of those problems. Uh, yeah, especially when it starts recurring. It, it does an even better job of doing yeah. so. so. Yeah, and then uh, the the... Huge upside is when you have like six six haste baneslayer, you know. Yep. And then the I mean that's it for the mono red deck. They're never coming back from that. That's it for a lot of decks, to be honest with you. They're, it's very difficult to uh, to beat that, those kind of stats. Yeah, you might be able to kill the six six at some point, but that just gives them more time to like set up an even more unbeatable engine. Yeah, they probably have the best late game in the entire format, barring any kind of graveyard hate. And they have a, a certain point of inevitability that I don't think there's really any other deck that compete with it. So I, I sort nah. of Ulamog type things, but right, I'm, that, I'm willing to call those out of the format at this point. I don't know if it'll stay that way, but at least as far as the uh, the online metagame goes, those decks are pretty much gone. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, is just Ulamog, right? Like, that is the only thing. Like, Torrential Gear Hulk does not compete with this stuff. Like, no. Black Green Delirium does not compete with this stuff. Like, Ishkana or whatever. Like, get out of here. Now, Torrential Gear Hulk has felt underwhelming to me for a while now. And I mean, maybe this segues into one of the other topics I wanted to talk about. But I really think that the blue decks, the control decks, are at a very, very low point right now. Um, I kind of don't see exactly what they're succeeding against in the metagame. I'm, I'm not super thrilled to sleeve up Dissolve in a field of Falconrath Gorgers. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, but it goes beyond that. It goes to the late game. The fact that you're, you're losing at all points of the game. You can't compete with things like Mono Red's early game. These kind of like red-black mid-range decks have a better mid-game, I would say. And, and the mid-game is a very like loose concept. It's, it's hard to define exactly when you hit the mid-game. But I'm talking like turns, you know, three to five where you're getting Doomfalled into Goblin Dark Dwellers. I, I think they're winning at that point in the game. Um, and then we talk about the long game of... You know, things like the Monument deck now. Where exactly are these blue-red decks supposed to get their edge? Where are they closing out these games? I don't really know anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you have pressure and kill their Gear Hulk, it is very difficult for them to win. I don't remember who said it, but someone, like, kind of had had this quote that has stuck with me for a while. And they said they, they felt like every time they cast Gear Hulk... It just means that they're taking three damage. And this was back in like the Mardu Vehicles era. And they were referring yeah. to the fact they tap out for six and then they would just get unlicensed disintegration. And then they couldn't really win the game from that point anyway. And yes. things feel very much the same with a braid to some extent. Yeah, you don't give them a target for that card until you play Gearhulk. And like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. 
And, and that has been my experience playing against Gear Hulk. I've been very successful against those decks. If you want to talk about decks that are towards the absolute bottom of my list for this Pro Tour, it'd be something like Blue-Red Control. I just, I just don't see a place for it. I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be right now. I don't think Blue-Red is exactly heinous or anything, but... I definitely don't think it's good. Yeah, and just what would motivate you to sleeve it up for the... Pro- like, what kind of conclusion would you have to reach to believe that, that that's the way to go? The format would have to be a little bit slower. I would have to have practiced my dice rolling skills. <laughs> yeah. I think that there would have to be fewer cards that actually just cleanly kill a Torrential Gear Hulk. These days I'm biased away from control, though. So it's like, you ask me my opinion on, like, oh, how do you think, like, Blue Red is doing? It's like, well, I'm just going to say it's bad. Yeah, and that's been the state of control for a little while now. It's it's been hard to really pinpoint a point when control has been on top in the recent metagame, despite having this kind of insanely powerful endgame. Torrential Gearhulk for its time in standard has only flirted with the top of the mountain, and then it very quickly falls off, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. The one thing that has been doing pretty well consistently, which is kind of surprising to me, surprising enough that I actually like built this deck and played it through a league is Mardu Vehicles. Oh, I'm super excited to hear your thoughts on Mardu Vehicles. As we know, I'm a, a huge Mardu fan, and I didn't actually end up playing the Sunday PTQ at GP Toronto, but I, I did bring my Mardu Vehicles list with me. Like I said, I probably would mistakenly do. So I'm, I'm curious, what was your experience like with Mardu Vehicles? Just everything that I remember about Mardu, <laughs> just all my problems with it were just there. Games would open so well, right? Like I would have Toolcraft Exemplar and then like a Scrap Heap Scrounger and I would just die. I would just like flood or miss a drop or something. And was there was there anything interesting about your list or was it pretty much just a stock Mardu list? Uh, I had a Braid in Disintegration, no Fatal Push. I had four Heart, two Aether Sphere Harvester. That's what I was going to do this weekend. Two Avacyn, two Thalia. I... I would prefer to play PX. I only had 14 artifacts, but I think that Thalia is good enough against the reanimator deck and the red deck. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like we reached a lot of the same conclusions for Mardu. I was doing the same thing with Harvesters. Uh, I had trimmed. I didn't go as far as you did totally losing Fatal Push. What did you think about making that change totally to a Braid? For the PT, it just seems like there's Gear Hulks and Oketra's Monument and God Pharaoh's Gift, and, like, I want a Braid in my deck if possible. Like, if I can make a reasonable-looking reanimator deck with a Braid, I would probably just play it. That's an interesting take, but I agree with you. It seems like this kind of worst-case scenario we've said where God Pharaoh's Gift is running amok has come to fruition, and we always said this is the limiting fa- factor on God Pharaoh's Gift. How can this really be a deck in a format filled with a Braid? Because I think they don't care. I, don't, yeah, I, I think the they don't care going that to show much. us whether it can be or not. Because if you think about how many virtual copies of God Pharaoh's Gift they have in their deck, it's kind of crazy, right? Right. I mean, you, you need pressure plus a braid. And if it's ever like a spot where like I could refurbish this thing, but they have two mana open and they've been keeping two mana open, like I'll just do something else. Then you're just going to do something else and still probably be fine. You know, as long as you don't walk into it, it's probably okay. Yeah, I guess the whole key with effective abrade usage has it has to equate to the kind of torrential gear hulk problem we're talking about where on the turn where you you know make your big god pharaoh's gift play you just get insanely punished and you take a ton of damage and and that's the key to abrading yeah the gear hulk decks don't have any other choice a lot of the time they need torrential gear hulk to help stabilize and i think the the god pharaoh's gift deck has things like gear hulk that they can cast instead to actually slow you down and the trick is to put enough pressure on them to, like, 
the point where they don't have any choice except for God Pharaoh's gift. Like, that is the only card that will save them, so they have to try and put that card into play, and then you can stop it. So, having said this now, we're talking about kind of the top players in the format, and then being maybe this new reanimator deck, uh, the mono red deck, and we're talking about a deck that can put pressure on them, a braid... There's some life gain in Mardu Vehicles for Aether Sphere Harvester. Are we maybe seeing the perfect metagame for Mardu Vehicles? You seem to say say no based on your experience. In, in theory, like if, if Mardu just didn't have these inherent weaknesses that just completely put me off the deck, then yeah, like the, de- the deck was doing well and it had like all the stuff that I wanted. You know, it, it had a braid, it had Harvester. I could play Authority of the Consoles, which was good for me. Because obviously half my matches were against Mono Red. Yes. And the only thing that I really regret was trying Glorybound uh, Initiate over a different two drop, which would probably be Walking Ballista. Ballista would be my advice. Yeah, I, I think that's the best two drop for the format. And it actually, even when Ballista wasn't at its prime in the format, I often felt it was the correct two drop for Mardu Vehicles, just based on all the, the things it brings to the table. The reach, uh, the ability to function as a mana sink in the late game, which is something very important for the deck. It kind of lets you float your land count up a little higher, which is addressing one of the you know, inherent weaknesses you talked about, is you, you kind of have to curve out in Mardu, Mardu Vehicles. Missing a land drop is devastating often in that deck. Yeah, and um, Ballista's either your two or your four. Yeah. And that helps a ton. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, talking through this does have me a little interested in sleeving up my mardu cards again uh or virtually sleeving them up as it may be i I know you're a mardu hater did you have any were there any glints of positivity in your time with mardu so i don't think mardu is bad it's just that like all of these weaknesses just like punish me all the time every time and i don't know how to fix them i don't know if it's possible like maybe if i could just like cut the five drops entirely or i don't know it's just it's so bizarre so my approach has always been more mana sources, kind of like from the beginning of my time with Mardu is that I, I played more mana sources than was conventionally thought as correct. Um, and with kind of the cycling lands, you can push to 25 a little bit more safely. I had 25 uh, and three slew. And basically every time I drew a slew, if my, my opener did not have like only two lands, I ended up cycling it. Not enough? Didn't do anything for you? Not enough. Small sample size. I mean, it was one league. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because I I often have bemoaned Mardu's place in this format, and I still kind of do. I, I'm with you to some extent, but when we start talking about what exactly is going on in this format, what we're looking for, it does seem to check all the boxes. Right, and it, it certainly helps, too, that Hour of Devastation is not really playable right now. No, like, no, it hasn't come to fruition. That's not the card you want against Mono Red. I think Monument's kind of on the decline. The, obviously, the God Pharaoh's Gift deck doesn't care about it, and like, sure, tap out, you know? They're going to do bad things to you. Yeah, it's going to merit some further exploration on my part. I'm going to play some actual games with Mardu. I I do understand your hesitancy. One one of the other things that I didn't really like was the fact that I I wanted to only play three Disintegration, which is just then like, why the hell am I playing this deck? deck. Yeah, well, okay, well, that's an interesting point. What about decks that do kind of the same Mardu-ish things, but maybe Abandon Black? Or you could even talk about White Black Abandoning Red. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... I really want Scrap Heap Scrounger and the white creatures. I mean, I, I think the clock is key. If I'm not playing Exemplar, then I'm probably just playing Monument, and that's fine. It's just not great. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think white's off the table. I'm not really interested in a black-red mid-rangey. You know, I want my black-red mid-rangey deck to move more towards the large side than the small side. But I, I have experimented with white-black and white-red builds of quote-unquote Mardu vehicles in the past, and they've been close at times. 
This is sort of off topic. I played against a monument deck that splashed black for Restoration Gearsmith. Oh, what was that like? Oh, it, was, it seemed kind of dope to me. I don't yeah, know. that's interesting. They, their mana was always perfect. They just drew like a courtyard, a port town. And Isn't it always when someone does something like crazy like that and you play against them and they're just like absolutely perfect and then you do it and it's like, oh, this doesn't work at all. Yeah, ETB tapped, ETB tapped, missing yeah. a color. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, if you want to play a slower version of that deck, that sort of strategy, then play Monument, some sort of Monument. You want to play Toolcraft Exemplar, which I think is probably correct for the format, then you should certainly play Mardu. And I, I don't know, like maybe you can build like an Esper deck, but Esper seems like so much weaker against just everything, I guess. I don't know. Then that's what, uh, what Kevin Jones played in the... He played open. that, yeah, at SCG Atlanta, and that's that's where I was. What I was thinking about too was like his mana looked bad. He didn't have a braid. It seemed like he really needed his creatures to live in order to win games, and that seems kind of difficult to do. I don't know his his deck. Like obviously Kevin is good, and I I trust his deck selection for the most part. But I yeah I don't think I would register something like that. Yeah, I'll I'll say this about Kevin's deck selection is that I trust it for him. I think he yeah. does. He, he has a play style. He knows his play style. He's committed to that play style. But oftentimes, I, I don't want to sleep up what he's sleeping up. And that's not a knock on him. It's just he builds his deck in a way that suits him. Yeah, for sure. And he knows what's going on all the time. Majors actually said that Kevin just manhandled uh, Joey Manor in their match. Just like... I, I forgot to watch it, but he said he just, like, tricked him a bunch and played great. And so, yeah, good job, Kevin. Uh, yeah, Kevin's great. He's from my area. We've played each other a ton of times. He's never beaten me. Kevin. Oh, I was going to say, what's your record? Oh, I crush him. It, it's, like, ludicrous. <laughs> like, I, I think I'm 8-0-1 against him lifetime. Oh, my God. Dude, go easy on him. What I are you know, doing? I, feel, I feel bad. He's such a nice guy. You big um, jerk. I hope he's listening right now because he's definitely steaming out his ears if he is. <laughs> well, he's, li- he's not listening right now, right That's now. True. Like, when... That's true. When we're recording it, but as far as I know, he does listen. So, okay. so yeah, three disintegration. That was kind of weird. No pushes. No push. Let me play like four planes, two mountains. I didn't know if I should go like super hard and like play any deserts or whatever. So I just like didn't even mess with it. Yeah, deserts seem like a stretch to me, and I am a little. I'm getting increasingly wary about my mana base doing me damage. That's not something I really want to do when I'm playing against 60% red decks, so. Yeah, I mean, at least on Magic Online, but, like, what if what if you're playing in real life, you know? Like, if you're playing two mountains, are those really better than Ramanop Ruins or whatever? In most cases, no. I mean, the deserts are great. You know I've been a big proponent of deserts, basically, as, as soon as you talked me into them. Not since day one, probably day two. Day two, you know? day two. You, you made an effective argument the first time we spoke about deserts, and I've been all in on the desert plan since then. I, I think they're great additions to the format. I mean, I'm being slanted a little bit by the Moto Meta game because it's so out of control, but it, it is something I would consider in my deck building right now. I don't know if it's necessarily something you should consider. I, I think that Mono Red's presence at the Pro Tour, I, I would expect it to not be that dramatic. I, I mean, I'm thinking like 10% maybe. Oh God, this is I'm getting flashbacks to, uh, I know. to PTRTR. I know. No, it can't be more than 10%, right? It can't be. No, but this time it really can't be, right? Like 30% of the people are not showing up with Mono Red. That's just insane. I I do think this is a very good version of Mono Red, but there are decks that can find success against it. And 
as you build and, and think about things, I do think there are answers. I mean, you're proposing one right now in authority of the consoles that I think probably a lot of people haven't considered and you said it was effective. So it just doesn't have the look of a deck that shows up at like a tremendous portion of the metagame. I do think like it's a very good choice. I could see a lot of people who are, you know, not working with a team in their first pro tour. It's a very safe choice. Just kind of go in and, and get a good finish under your belt. And that's kind of what often happens with aggro decks like this. I just don't see like big teams taking on mono red. That would very much surprise me. It would be really tough to convince like, you know, some of the more ego focused like platinum pros to sleeve up like red cartouches and falcon wrath gorgers and stuff, right? Like it's just not happening. Those cards are, are like quote unquote bad, right? I, I do think that some of that has, especially over the last like two years, has faded. There was definitely a point in time where no self-respecting, you know, elite player would be caught playing a mono red deck and just attacking because you had to play counter spells and assert how intellectually superior you were in every game of Magic you played. I think that's faded to the background I, a little bit. I think people are fine playing beatdown decks, but only if they're actually good. Does this cross that line? I don't know. I mean, I'm looking. <laughs> I have a list open on my screen right now, and my mouse has come to rest on Village Messenger, the one one with haste, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it's like really good. I have a question, and while you think about the answer to that question, uh, I'm going to tell you more about my Marty sideboard because this is the part that I actually liked. So the question is, what is Mono Red's natural predator? The one where it's not like, oh, you take a deck that exists and add five life gain cards to your deck or whatever. Uh, my Mardu sideboard had some Declaration in Stones, Authority of the Consoles, Painful Truths, Radiant Flames, Anguish Unmakings, and Crooks. And then like some random one-ofs. But I really like Painful Truths. I really like Radiant Flames. I think Deck in Stone is kind of circling back around to being good again just because a lot of the decks are going wide. It's cheap. Like the games are pretty fast-paced. People don't have a lot of time to actually use all their mana to just, like, sack clues, you know? And then I think the crooks are kind of a necessary evil, and Anguish Unmaking is just more abrades or abrade proxies. So, like, that was another thing I was thinking of with Monument with Black. Yeah, that card makes a lot of sense. You, you like a lot of the same cards I do. I've been playing Painful Truths in my Mardu sideboard for a while. It's been excellent. I would probably never play Mardu without one, at least one copy in my sideboard again. Radiant Flames is interesting, not something I've explored. But I like where your head's at. I like a lot of what you're doing. And I don't know that I have the answer to your... Question, my response right now would be the black-red deck. As I said, I've had a very positive matchup percentage against mono-red. I mean, it seems very favorable, but I have a feeling you have a better answer, something that's been kind of lurking in the background of the format for a little while. No, I really don't. No. I, I, it could it could be Mardu, you know? Or it, it could, to some degree, be Monument if you hedged your deck a lot in, in that no, direction. No, no, we're not allowed to hedge. Remember, it has to be the natural No, I know, predator. I know. That's what I'm, well, I, like, if you, if you draw Catcher's Monument you're probably fine. If you draw a monument and they don't kill it, you're probably fine, right? Yeah. But, like, if you have the other draw where you're playing, like, 2-1 flyer into a 2-3 flyer, like, you're probably going to get beat up. Yeah, my, my answer right now would be black-red. It's funny because the list I've been playing is based on Paul Rietzel's deck. I know we had talked about black-red a little bit uh, either last week or the week before, but Paul has actually changed to completely abandon Fatal Push in the main deck, and he doesn't have Grasp either. He's kind of, like, leaning very hard on Doomfalls. And you would think that that means your mono red matchup is horrible, and it's just not because Liliana is absolutely bonkers against them. Yeah, so so maybe that's it. Maybe I can play zombies. That card's great. It's great against them. The rest of the zombies are pretty bad though. They're I bad, played some yeah. I, I played some with black blue zombies too. I did forget that Gifted Aetherborn was a card though. Is that a zombie? No, God no. Th that would have been in the deck, you know? Yeah. 
No, I mean, I have, like, some Scarab Gods in my deck and basically changed some stuff of the one that got second in the PTQ. Yeah, we were pretty off this plan. We didn't really see what Blue was adding. I mean, we didn't also understand Scarab God at the time. But even now, understanding what that card actually does, I don't know. I I don't see a lot here. It's a powerful card. It's I don't think it's necessarily well positioned against the decks that are out there. I don't know. The deck had main deck negates and Jace's defeat in the sideboard, and it's like, okay, this is just this deck is built for a different metagame. Yeah. What it, what is this preying on? Those are such bizarre. It doesn't feel like what the format demands at all right now. Well, Jace's defeat counters a Glimmer or a Gear Hulk, so I get it. I don't think that those cards are things that I would play right now. But yeah, yeah I don't. I don't think Jace's defeat is a bad card by any stretch of the imagination. I certainly think it's a totally meritous inclusion in many sideboards, but I'm not changing the very nature of my deck to fit it in. And that's what he's doing here. He's, he's changed his entire mana base. One of the things that I know both you and I love about the Zombies deck is the mana base. The All Swamps mana base is fantastic. Um, yeah. and, and now you give that up just for Negate and Jace's Defeat and the Scarab God. I don't see where he's getting the points. No, I mean, I think he was getting points from main deck Liliana. That could very much be the case, because man, is that card a house against uh, the mono red deck. It kills something like, let's see, I'm doing a quick flip through right now. It looks like it kills about uh, 70-ish percent of their creatures. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the best home for Liliana is. I know that you could change your mana base to be able to cast it out of Mardu. Black Green Delirium is a deck that hasn't really showed up, but that's like mostly been a metagame deck too. And it doesn't actually seem like the worst thing to me. I mean, I like having a Scarab God to traverse for. I like Ishkana against the red decks. Uh, Ishkana is great against the red decks. I can certainly confirm that, having played it in the red-green deck, and I guess not surprisingly so. Sometimes they can just beat through you with Hazaret and stuff, but most of the time it's good. The deck you're ignoring, though, which I keep trying to subtly bring into the conversation, though, is the red-black deck. Are you oh, just... no, I'm not, I'm not ignoring it. I was purposely trying to, like, not talk about it because that's what we've been talking about. Okay. And, okay. yeah, it's just like, okay, so there's this black-red deck with four Lilianas, and Liliana's great, so where else can we put it? Is there a different home for that card? I do think that green, some type of green-black deck seems like the most natural second home besides red-black. Obviously, recursive Ishkanas are still very good, very difficult to beat, but I, I think there has to be probably some form of life gain, although they can just go to, to Kalidus just as well as the red-black deck can, so I would have to think a little bit more about some other matchups. You know, they still get access to post-board... Dissenter's Deliverance, some number in the main as well, if that's what they want, which I think oh, yeah. you probably do right now. Oh, yeah. I would put some time into this deck. I could see the things kind of lining up. All the things that we're talking about Mardu doing well, this deck can kind of do as well. If it's if it's the Grim Flare version, I mean, that deck is occasionally capable of putting forth some very robust clocks. So, yeah, I, c- I can get on board with a little, a little green-black Delirium. It's a deck that I've played a lot and have enjoyed in the past. So What about the more mid-rangey winding constrictor list because obviously like ballista is pretty good ballista is way better if it, it it's a 2-2 right yes and uh i think ben stark top eight of gp with four gifted aetherborns main so you play like flare aetherborn snake ballista as your twos some rish cars some gear hulks some traverses and whatnot i don't know maybe this deck is good yeah, it's, it's always been difficult for me to figure out the proper split when you're building this deck. Like, what energy cards are you playing? What just straight Delirium cards are you playing? And, then, and that's the thing, if you start going Grim Flayers, are we enabling our Grim Flayers? Because it seems like a very difficult time to do things like Vessel or Grapple, given kind of the pace of the format. 
Yeah, I agree um, with that. Uh, Snook 5 would a league today. He's playing the Pro Tour, and he had the... He, he plays black green and everything or whatever, but yeah, he had... He would he would play this deck no matter what, I promise you that. But he is succeeding, and he's got a fair number of trophies last I look. Gifted Aetherborn, two Kalidus, two Rishkar, two Advocate. So no Grim Flayers, two Advocates instead. That seems reasonable. Three Toughness is, is pretty solid. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's leaning on Aetherborn in the two slot, which I uh, given yeah. Moto cues specifically, sure. Three Tracker, three Gear Hulk, four Ballista, four Constrictor, one Never to Return, one Deliverance, four Push, four Grasp, one Harvester, one Sky Sovereign, 24 land. So no Traverse, which kind of makes me sad, but that's understandable. Uh, Grim Flayer seems like kind of nonsense, I guess, so cutting that makes sense. And then sideboard, a lot of Transgresses, Scroungers, and Gehenny's Expertises, which is another card that seems pretty good. Like that, and like maybe Flaying Tendrils? Man, maybe Black Green's the nut. You just need a way to beat the reanimator deck. I don't know how much I care for Grasp of Darkness right now as a removal spell. Oh, what, I mean, it's not perfect. It's instant speed. It's two mana. It kills on crop, dude. Like, I'm I'm not upset about that. It seems like it would be very easy to uh, kind of get some, some maybe some crooks in the sideboard here for these things like the Life Crafters Bestiary, which I assume he wanted in control matchups, which... Have a braid. I, I, just <laughs> I would just assume they don't exist at this point too. Like I would, I would, I would build my deck to be disrespectful of control. I like Omnixilis because if you're playing against control, that thing takes up to six, so you don't get houred. So I've I've liked Omnixilis out of the zombie sideboard. So yeah, the versatility of Omnixilis is great too. He's great against the you know red black deck. He's great against the mirror. So Dude, maybe maybe Snook broke it. Could be. Isn't, wait, how many Lilianas does he have? None. None. Okay, so, so we right. fix that. Yeah, we fixed that. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Maybe that's how we get these gross grasps out of this deck. Nah, man. Grasp is fine. Don't be hating. I just don't think you need to lean on it to that extent. I mean, obviously you need to have some form of of harder removal. You can't just scoop to a glory bringer, but I don't know. We could at least trim. We could trim a couple grass, get some Lianas in here. Now we got a stew going, baby. Yeah, man. We don't we don't need the Sky Sovereign, this never to return. I don't know how many like trackers and verters. Yeah, main, and that caught my eye as well. Main deck three trackers seems like you know I love tireless tracker as much as the next guy, but that seems like it's pushing a little bit hard given the state of the format. Well, I, I think it's just a hedge, and I think that's fine. Like a tracker ends up being really good against the reanimator deck because the games go pretty long. All right, man. I have I have my my assignment for tonight. Yeah, green black. I'm I'm curious to see a list. Definitely send it my way. I I guess this is a good time to maybe. Think about what this Pro Tour is going to look like on the whole. We talked about the percentage of mono red that we expect, or at least that I expect. You refuse to make any such predictions because we've been burned in the past. I'll, uh, I'll say that every deck is going to be 10% of the format, and I think <laughs> I probably will not be very wrong. This is probably the first Pro Tour in a while where that's the safest bet to make. Everything's still wide open. Everything changes week to week. I am still having a great time playing all these. All these decks are so interesting. The matchups are good. Everything's fun to play. Yeah, thumbs up on this format. Thumbs up on the upcoming Pro Tour. I hope you do fantastic. Despite your current level of doubt, you'll overcome that and crush it. Oh, I don't know. It's tough for me. You know how it is. I do. I do. But look, you're you're still riding the hot streak. I'm not going to let you forget that. I know you keep trying to, but you are the current Pro Tour champion, and you're going to go and defend your belt WWE style and slam everyone through a table. Yeah, back to back, baby. <laughs> That's game.